0: Hope everyone is having a great day so far. On this episode of The Road to the Show, we have Chris Welsh. Chris currently works for the Cincinnati Reds and is a TV analyst for Fox Sports Ohio. He's been doing it for over 25 years. And he gives some really good insight into the Reds, inside the Reds clubhouse. He gives some pretty cool Joey Votto um, background just on how, how hard Joey Votto works um he also gives some insight into some top prospects for the reds when they when he thinks they can make their major league debut and just a lot of you know inside information that you wouldn't really be able to to know unless you're around the team every single day so i think you guys are gonna um really think this is a pretty cool episode and without further ado chris welsh What's up, everyone? This is Patrick Jones. This is The Road to the Show. Today we have on Chris Welsh. Chris, thanks for coming on today.
1: Patrick, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: So we are currently doing this at the Madeira Cafe. Um,
1: when, what street is this? It's on Laurel Street, right down in the heart of Madeira. It's only about two minutes from my house. So I
0: walked on down, and uh, I'm glad you're giving them a plug. It's a great place for breakfast. It is. We just got done finishing breakfast, and it was awesome here. Um, first and foremost, I want to talk about the World Series a little bit. Astros, Dodgers, a lot of the pitchers were complaining about the baseballs being a little bit different in the World Series. I know you, Darvish, specifically. Do you buy into that, or is that more something that he's just kind of, it's more of a mental... Thing for him, you know.
1: If it was just one pitcher that was complaining about the baseballs, I would say, well, that it might be just sour grapes for that one guy, right? Or maybe even two guys. But I think it was uniform among not just the guys in the World Series, but throughout the entire playoffs. That the the baseball, first of all, it's been hot this year in 2017. There have been home run records. Uh, there have been so many players this year in the major leagues that have reached their career high in the number of home runs that they've hit this year. It's just exploded. I've seen opposite field home runs by middle infielders going, you know. It used to be fence scrapers. Now they're going back into the second deck opposite field. So, yeah, there's
0: something going on with the baseball, uh, and especially in the World Series, no doubt about it. So you think Major League Baseball needs to actually do something about this for next year? I mean, like you said, home runs were happening throughout the entire regular season, which were not, you know, very normal. Do you think MLB will do something completely different for next year with the baseballs or how do you think that's going to work i
1: think they've done what they wanted to do <laughs> you know it's funny because major league baseball say hey well we've tested these baseballs and they're still within our range of parameters uh, for um, the coefficient of resistance i think is what it is The cor is basically the bounceability of a baseball you drop a baseball you see how high it bounces well the, the For a baseball to be okayed by major leagues, it has to fall within a certain range. Well, but that range, according to scientists that I've read reports about, is so wide that you can have a dead baseball and a really live baseball, and they will both be okay under Major League standards. So I think that's what's happened, is that they pushed that baseball and the and the bounceability of that ball so high, still within the standards of Major Leagues, but they've added a good 15 or 20 feet to a well-hit baseball into the outfield. And of course, you know Patrick, that's the difference between a warning track of yep. the fly ball and a ball that goes out of the ballpark.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, going over... Continuing with the World Series with uh, the Dodgers, Yasiel Puig, a lot of people were you know, a little upset that he was you know, showboating a little bit in the World Series. You know, He hit a, a single or double in the gap, and you know bat flip, and a lot of people were up in arms about that. What's your opinion? A lot of people are on the other side like, well, it makes the game fun, it makes it exciting. Are you more of like an old-school type, or do you like this way? Well,
1: I used to be the old-school type. Yeah. You know, People have accused me of being the old man shouting at clouds. Yeah. Uh, but I think that I've come full circle now, and I like the exuberance. Uh, when a guy hits a three-point... Uh, shot to win a game, or even at the end of the half, you know, raises his hand, dances around. Um, when a golfer, you know, may hit a hole and run, one he he throws his club up and he's running around celebrating. Football players celebrate after touchdowns. They celebrate after after tackles and sacks. So I think that baseball um, is now being um, viewed, if you want young people, you've got to have some enthusiasm. And that's the one thing I really liked about the postseason
0: is that we were seeing a lot of enthusiasm by everybody. I, I definitely agree with that. I like the enthusiasm, I like the energy. The other thing about the World Series that's pretty interesting is – you know, the managers, it seems, you know, use their pitchers way differently. It's not like the regular season. Like you saw Lance McCullers got taken out of the game, like second or third inning, and he wasn't even doing that bad in the last game. Do you manage the bullpen and your pitchers completely different in the postseason as in the regular season? Yeah, you do. I, I think you have to. And it
1: leads me to, to wonder why a team like this, the Los Angeles Dodgers or the Houston Astros, who know they're going into the postseason, they've already got the division wrapped up, right? Why wouldn't they spend the last couple of weeks of the year managing like they would in the playoffs to prepare their team and their pitching staffs? Because it would be very odd if you're a guy who is in the Astro bullpen, for instance, and you normally don't get into the ballgame until the seventh or eighth inning, and all of a sudden the manager wants you up in the third. Well, you're not ready. Mentally, you're not ready. And, of course, mental is the biggest part of baseball. Uh, So I'm really wondering that maybe going forward, this is what we're going to see. Those teams that have it wrapped up, are going to practice postseason baseball before the postseason gets there because they certainly do handle pitching staffs differently.
0: So speaking of pitching staffs, with the Dodgers, do you think that Yu Darvish should have gotten the start the last game because his his start earlier in the series, you know, he really struggled again. He was having trouble with that uh, that slider. You know, he was complaining about the baseball just like everyone else was, but he was he really didn't look like himself. Do you think Kershaw should have got that start? Or I mean, and in hindsight, it's 2020. But what would do you think that they made a mistake when they started Darvish instead of Kershaw? Well,
1: as I remember, it was Kershaw would have been on one day rest, so I, I don't think I would have given him the start. But I would have had a very, very short leash on Darvish. In fact, I was watching the game, and I told the people around me. In the second inning, when Darvish walked the leadoff batter in the second inning, he's out of the game for me because I can't I can't afford my starting pitcher to walk the leadoff batter in a World Series game and especially when I have a hammer like uh, Kershaw down there. You have to play it like you do an American Legion game. And an American Legion team... There's usually one stud player, right? He's a shortstop. He's also the pitcher. You know, he started yesterday, but he's in relief today. And he's also batting fourth and probably hitting home runs for you. Well, Kershaw's that guy for me. And uh, I think that you've got to use him uh, like that as soon as you can get to him. I wouldn't have given him the start, but I would have wanted him to come in feeling like he's wearing a Superman cape to get the team out of a problem and then carry him from then on.
0: I think he could have done that, but he waited a few batters too long. Yeah. Like we said, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, hopefully next year the Dodgers will be right back there. I definitely agree with that. What do you think about this upcoming season for the Reds, right? You follow the Reds, obviously, all year year long. Do do they have any pitching, potential pitching prospects or anyone who you think could potentially be an all-star and help carry this team uh, coming forward? Well,
1: if you look at the Reds overall, Patrick, you have to break it down between... The, the hitting, you know, the regular players, uh, the everyday players, and the pitching staff. And right now, the everyday lineup is as good as, as any out there. I, I, I really am very happy with what the Reds did offensively this year. Of course, anchored by Joey Votto, one of the best players I've ever seen wear a Reds uniform. The guy is just amazing. Um, and the young players around him are getting better and better, too. But they're ready right now. The problem that the Reds have is that they've got a gap between the readiness of their everyday players, which is right now, and the readiness of their pitching staff, which is projectively, you know, 2019 or 2020. So, you know, how do you keep the everyday lineup together while you're waiting around for this pitching staff to mature? Um, And I think that, you know, they were beset by injuries. Of course, a lot of teams were this year. Uh, but we really don't know what's going to happen next year all season long when you ask Anthony DiSclefani, I think he's got 64 starts in the major leagues and you rely on him to be the number two pitcher on your staff. Uh, Homer Bailey, who's always been around yeah. 500, um, you're asking him to get out there and give him you know, one of his really better seasons where he'll give you 200 innings. We don't know yet about Brandon Finnegan. I do like some of the young pitching that they've shown. Uh, Luis Castillo, uh, outstanding young pitcher. I think that he's got a really high ceiling. I think he's got a chance to be a, um, a Cy Young Award-type pitcher down the road as long as he continues to get better. Um, uh, I, there, there were a number of other pitchers. Tyler Malley uh, was one that was very impressive to me. Uh, I like the guys that know how to pitch. You know, for so long this year, it seemed like that we would hear from the Reds brass, well, This guy throws 98 miles an hour, and that guy throws 98 miles an hour. This guy's got a 94-mile-an-hour slider. You saw in the playoffs the same thing I Mm -hmm. saw in the playoffs. Those guys who can command their breaking ball are the guys that got people out. Lance McCullers, uh, who was a very big part of that Houston Astro World Series, threw 26 curveballs in a row (laughs) at one point, right? So I don't care how hard you throw. I haven't seen a guy yet throw so hard that a hitter can't hit it. So you got to mix in the other stuff.
0: Hunter Green, the Reds' uh, number two, I believe, overall prospect. Uh, Their top pick this past year. I was talking to Trent Rosecrans, who actually went out to Billings to watch him pitch, and I believe you actually met him. Um, what have you heard about him so far this past year in his professional debut? And how long do you think he'll be away from reaching the big leagues?
1: Well, you know, when the Red sign him, me was 17 years old. So he's going to be a ways away yeah. just from that standpoint. I don't think there's any hurry to rush Hunter Green. I think he's a special player. Uh, he's certainly one of the more mature 17-year-olds yeah. I've ever talked to. Really a kid with his head on straight. Uh, got a good body, as you would expect. Big, tall, right-hander, throws hard. Um, and a nice, smooth delivery. I mean, but for me, again, you know, success as a pitcher is whether you can get your breaking ball over the plate and how deceptive that is. So, you know, he's got a long way to go before he becomes a major league pitcher. Um, I I hope he's he's on the right track. I'm sure he is. And the Reds are very excited that they've got him in there because they feel that he's not just a good pitcher, but a real special individual. And that's what I keep hearing about Hunter Green, and I think that uh,
0: I I really can't wait to see him next spring training. Uh, You know, on an everyday basis. Now, the Reds' number one prospect ahead of him is Nick Senzel, and I know right now, you know, he's a little, he's kind of blocked right now at third base. Um, I, I've heard he's he's major league ready right now. Um, do you think he'll be able to make his debut anytime next year? I would
1: imagine he'll be up in 2018. Yeah, there's no question in my mind that he will. The question is where, um, and I would imagine that Senzel will, you know, any if you can hit, they're going to make room for you. Yeah. So the way I look at things, and and Patrick, they don't ask me, the front office of the Reds don't ask me my opinion, but you can get it on TV. (laughs) Um, I would leave uh, Eugenio Suarez at third base. I think he's progressed to the point where he's a gold-glove caliber third baseman. He's a very good hitter. He's a solid major leaguer. Uh, you are un- got him under control for a few more years. I wouldn't start moving him around. I would move Senzel to second base and see what he can do there. Of course, you have Scooter Jeanette there right now. Whether he's around with the Reds at the beginning of spring training or not, I don't know. He could be on the trade market. But that's probably what I would do. Uh, you have to turn your roster over. And... Uh, the the point I make about that is, you know, I asked Lou Pennell after the uh, and when he when he goes back and he looks at the two or the 1990 World Series, the wire to wire team that he had. I said, what happened between 1990 and 1991 that you wish you had done differently? He said, you know what we didn't do, which I wish we had done, is we turned the ro- we didn't turn the roster enough. We should have made at least twenty percent. Changes in the roster, and I think the Reds need to do the same thing. They have not done that over the last five or six years. If you start looking at the the roster of you know Votto and Brandon Phillips and Cozart and Todd Frazier um, and Jay Bruce. You know those guys were with the Reds over and over and over and over again. Well, they didn't win any World Series, so you didn't turn the roster enough. I think even in a team that is rebuilding, you've got to do the same thing. You've got to start moving guys in and out. I would make room for Senzel and play him at second base.
0: Now, the one guy who they're, who definitely aren't they aren't going to turn over because he's probably one of the the best hitter in the major leagues is Joey Votto. You are able to follow him throughout you know every day throughout the season. What makes this guy so special? Is there something that he does on a regular basis, you know, in terms of drills that are different, or is it more just a mental approach, or why is he just so much better than everybody else?
1: Work ethic, and it started when he was a kid. Uh, You know, when he was a kid growing up in Toronto, he did not play hockey, one of the the rare kids in, in Canada that didn't play hockey who had a lot of athletic ability. And he wanted to be a baseball player. He asked his coach, how can I be a better baseball player? And the coach told him, Go down to your basement in the wintertime and swing the bat two hundred times a night. Well Votto went down and he swung the bat four hundred times a night. And uh, dry. It's not like you know the kids nowadays have, have nets to hit into and they've got, you know, special gizmos and training aids and so on. He didn't have any of that. And he, he continues that work ethic today. I've never seen a player work harder than Botto, uh, prepare himself better than Botto, and I think that that's the reason why he is what he is. He, he's a self-made hitter. He didn't you know fall into the earth uh, being able to hit like
0: he can. He's made himself that way uh, through hard work. I remember when he was coming up, um, I believe the GM at the time made a rule for the minor leaguers that you have to take until two strikes, and he said that helped him out a lot. Do you think that that's something that potentially certain players not necessarily every single minor league player but someone like a potential Vado in the future that they should do that with make them take you know a couple of strikes or do you think that was just a one-time thing and that's not going to happen again.
1: No, I don't think... I, I think that was an experiment that didn't work out. I think it was Dan O'Brien yeah. who you refer to that did that. And it, it was actually taking a first-pitch strike. Okay. Uh, and they didn't want him to get down two strikes. The problem was the opposition knew that they were taking a strike. Yeah, so just they, fastball, they fastball, fastball. There, yeah. And all of a sudden, you're down 0-1. And, 1, and yeah. you know how that really skews the, the average when you're down 0-1 as opposed to being ahead 1-0. Uh, so I think that uh, that was, a, was an experiment worth looking at. But, uh, I, listen... Votto – Joey Votto, for me, had his best year ever this year because of he made the players around him better. He was able to make those players better around him after the Reds traded Jay Bruce and after they traded Todd Frazier because now Votto had to kind of make new friends. And he now brought these other guys like Suarez and Billy Hamilton in under his wing And by doing that, they were able to get the benefit of watching Joey Botto and listening to Joey Botto and going into batting cage with Don Long, the hitting coach, and Joey Botto, and now be able to um, actually learn from Botto firsthand, which if you got a chance to learn from Joey Botto, you keep your lips closed and your ears open.
0: So do you think he's going to end up coming with the NL MVP? I know a lot of people think it's going to go to John Carlos Stanton because of all the home runs. Like you said, this was probably Votto's very best season. I mean, statistically, I mean, it's it's absurd, and you really break it down. Do you think he'll end up getting that, or do you think that's going to go to stand? You know,
1: I, I can't tell you which way the vote's going to go. All I can tell you
0: is that when you're in in the consideration of being, you know, the top three, you've had one heck of a year. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, one more thing I want to uh, harp on is, you know, you have BaseballRulesAcademy.com. It's your website. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. How long have you been uh, running this website for?
1: Well, you know, it, it was an idea. Yeah, this website, it basically, it's, it is what it sounds like. It's about baseball rules. And what I've tried to do with this website is to come up with a, a way that you can carry the rule book around in your pocket with your cell phone. And you can look up any rule. And you can find it very quickly. And not only find the rule, but also find uh, in-depth special reports and case study reports about particular rules. And even videos about Because nobody wants to read the rule book. But we all want to know the rules. So I found as a broadcaster there was no easy way for me to look up a rule really fast if a quirky play happened on the field. So for the last five years, I've been going after this uh, to put uh, rules onto the website. Uh, We've taped probably two or 300 different video uh, little vignettes, rules vignettes that explain the rules. I've got a couple of hundred different case studies and special reports. So as deep as you want to get into a rule, we can get you there. Um, but it's, uh, it's one of these things. It's a labor of love for me. Uh, I've learned a lot about the rules of baseball because of that. Because as a broadcaster, Patrick, people expect me to know the rules. And quite frankly, when I came out of the, being a baseball player, I thought I knew the rules, but I had no clue. And most fans have no clue. And most managers have no clue. And most players have no clue. Uh, because there are a lot of little quirky rules that can really help you win a ball game if your players know the, you know, the, the rights and the wrong of certain rules. So uh, I went after this. It's been a good, really good success so far. Uh, we, we've been embraced by Major League Baseball, uh, by a lot of high school and college coaches and, and amateur coaches around. Uh, umpires have come to it a lot, and it's been really a lot of fun.
0: And a perfect example of that was when you know we were talking earlier about Dusty Baker and the Nationals when Javier Baez... Um, uh, ended up getting called. I believe he was safe. He got called safe. Was it interference? At-
1: well, it was a really interesting play. The, in, the, in the playoff game between the Nationals and the Cubs, Javier Baez was at the plate, and Jason Hayward was on first base. And on a strike two pitch, uh, Baez swings and misses on a low breaking ball, a slider. And, the, and on his follow-through of his swing and miss, his bat hit Matt Weeders, the catcher in the mask. The ball goes through the legs of Matt Weeder. It goes all the way to the backstop. Drop strike three, right? Baez takes off for first base. Weeder's goes to chase the ball down. Hayward ends up at third base. Wheaters throws the ball wild at first. So now Baez is safe, and the Cubs have him at first and third. That was a misinterpretation of the rules by the Major League Umpire crew. And Dusty Baker should have protested the game at that point because you can protest a misinterpretation of the rules. What should have happened was that Baez should have been out because on the follow-through interference, they just call a follow-through interference, um, the ball is dead, no runners can advance, and if it's strike three, the batter's out. So Baez should have been out. Hayward should have gone back to first base. As it turns out, it was a one-run win for the Cubs. And at the end of the, end of the, end of the series, Dusty Baker gets fired. So maybe a little bit of rules knowledge uh, would have changed the entire scope of the postseason.
0: Perfect example of that. Uh, Make sure to go check that out, baseballrulesacademy.com. Chris, thanks for stopping by today.
1: Patrick, great to see you. Good luck with the podcast.
0: Appreciate it.